Welcome into Tales Never Fails. My name is Steve Kramer. Appreciate you checking out the show. On today's show, we're continuing our team by team, division by division season preview with the Philadelphia Eagles. So we're on to the NFC. If you missed any of the podcasts that we did on the AFC teams, be sure to check those out. You can follow us on Twitter at TNF underscore podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode. We're going to be dropping 14 previews a week for a total of eight weeks, taking us up to the week before the NFL season kicks off on Thursday night. If this is your first time listening to us, once a regular season starts, we'll have a Thursday preview show where we break down each matchup and look at the games from a fantasy and betting perspective. And then on that Tuesday after, after we get a chance to watch all the games from that week, we'll do a recap show and tell you what we saw. 256 games a season broken down in depth by us. The one and only Mr. Parker Hurley joins me. Parks, how you doing? Doing good. Ready to get into uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, a very interesting team who uh, we were saying before the show, you know, they go to the Super Bowl, win a Super Bowl, and in their Super Bowl hangover, we're extremely close to getting right back into the mix. So uh, let's see what they have as they kind of, you know, should bounce back from that hangover. Yeah, I was telling you before we started recording this that, like, just looking at it, this is a team that knows how to build a roster, and we'll get into that roster here, Parks, with the quarterback position which they have on lock. Nick Foles goes to the Jaguars, but they have Carson Wentz Parks coming back from injury. They signed him to a four-year extension, $128 million. So he signed through 2024. Um, that adds on to the two years they already had him signed through. So it's now like a six-year, 154 with a little bit over $100 million in guarantees. When he signed it, it was the highest guaranteed contract in NFL history. Um, you want to talk a little bit about Wentz, how you see his fantasy outlook and how you feel about him coming back from injury? Right, it's going to be really interesting, and you saw, like you said, with the contract that gives from the Eagles, who, like you also said, you know, a team that you kind of seem to trust the way that they're, you know, approaching this thing, a team that has taken, you know, typically the right path, um, putting that faith in Carson Wentz kind of hopefully says where they stand in terms of his health, because when you, you could even go back to North Dakota State, one of the biggest things when you put in the negative box for Wentz was his health saying, um, you know, he was even hurt um, at North Dakota State. He obviously got hurt and missed the Super Bowl run. And then, you know, this season, I was kind of, or heading into last season, I was definitely fading Wentz early on to, into the season, knowing that he was coming back from the ACL and thinking that he was probably going to come back potentially a little too early, and he did. And then you add in that, you know, he eventually had, um, I think, some back injuries and everything like that. So his last season on the field, it's tough to gauge. And you're always going to have because, you know, ACL, back injuries, injuries throughout his college career, these are things that are going to have to always follow him now. And you have to say, you know, if he gets hurt, this, 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 because, um, you know, it's crazy. It's actually, you know, his third NFL season or uh, his fourth NFL season, he still hasn't even played in the playoffs yet, you know, for how heralded he is. And like you said, um, given a contract, you know, hasn't been able to um, even participate in the playoffs yet mainly because of injuries. So you look at Wentz and you say, that's the huge drawback on him. You also look at him and say, um, you know, oh, Nick Foles, you know, took the team to a Super Bowl run. He got the team right back in the mix. You know, they're kind of falling apart a little bit last season when Wentz was, like I said, kind of, I think he came back from the ACL a little early. He was dragging in other areas. But when you actually look at the Eagles season, as we're going to break down with other positions, you start to say that, um, the re other positions and everything was banged up. They were, like I kind of said, going through the hangover effect and, um, you know, 
shuffling a lot of pieces, a lot of injuries, especially in terms of their offensive line and their defense. And towards the end of the season, their defense and offensive line started to play better. So they were winning more games, but you can even see statistically in terms of success rates, explosive passes, sacks, interceptions, everything, Wentz was actually still outperforming Nick Foles in every, you know, um, before the Super Bowl run, whenever Carson Wentz, you know, was, uh, got injured in that game against the LA Rams. Um, he was better than Foles for that whole point. Um, as I talked about in the Jaguars podcast, Foles actually was only good in about two or three games um, in that entire Super Bowl run um, when you break it down. And then the next season, like I said, once was even even coming off the ACL, even coming off the back, was still statistically better than Foles when you factor in the offensive line and you factor in the defense of the Eagles. That's where you see the fact that when Foles comes in, they started to win more games. So I still lean towards it. I mean, the Eagles, you know, obviously let Foles go. Not only that, they extended Wentz um, despite the injury. So you have to trust that part about Wentz. And you also, you know, the thing about Wentz is that um, for the most part, you could almost argue that he's a game manager. And I know you kind of see like the six foot five body frame and you see that he can escape and evade the pocket. And it kind of just makes him like a game manager plus that his ability to extend the pocket and make plays um, somewhat out of structure. What was really crazy about him was when he was getting MVP talk on their Super Bowl run, he was um, by far the best in the NFL at third down. Um, I think it was like third down and six plus. He was just like shattering, um, you know, NFL records really with how efficient he was on third and six plus. And that's where you really saw him um, just, you know, be able to play make, you know, on the run and when uh, plays broke down and everything. And you also could credit Doug Peterson for some of that. But um, then the very next season, um, you kind of law of regression or law of averages. He, he really, and you know, adding the ACL in the back, you know, came really crashing down on third and longs. Um, really just kind of averaged out in terms of his overall career because he was riding so hot and then rode so low. So you could say if he could just be average to where he was on third down, and as we're going to get into with his skill players, he could be in a really good situation. And, you know, as we're going to get into it with his skill players, he has a chance to um, potentially get back into that MVP conversation. I think I have him as like the sixth or seventh overall fantasy quarterback. Because of the injury questions, that's the only thing that leaves me hesitant to consistently pull the trigger on Carson Wentz. But um, as I like said, as we're going to get into his skill players and the fact that he is... Um, He's, he's nailed down the game manager thing. Like He knows how to be that point guard who spreads the football around. And like I said, whatever you get in terms of what he can make out of structure is either icing on top or it's, you know, he can't necessarily, you know, go too, too far. But nonetheless, you're going to get a baseline of he can distribute to all these skill players. So you start to say, you know, as we're going to break down with all these skill players, it should add up for the fact that Wentz is probably in line for a good season. So I definitely like Wentz's outlook. The only fear that I have with Carson Wentz at this point is his injury questions. So um, I'm feeling um, pretty positive about him. Like you said, they added Cody Kessler, who is um, another game manager type who doesn't have the you know physical attributes that Carson Wentz has. And Sudfeld is a little bit more bigger and athletic, so he could potentially step in. Um, and, you know, ho hopefully would be that Nick Foles, where, like I keep saying, I don't think Foles was going above and beyond or carrying anybody. So I do like Carson Wentz. Um, it's just, yeah, the injuries will be obviously the thing that follows him. Park, so moving on to the running back position, two new faces here. They get Jordan Howard for, from the Bears for a 2026 round pick and then ended up drafting Miles Sanders from Penn State at 53 overall parks. Um, he's going to need to 
work on. I was seeing a lot of guys talking about just his pass pro, but um, how do you feel like these two guys are going to bounce off each other? Right. This one's going to be interesting, and it's definitely a debate. And um, I lean towards Miles Sanders over Jordan Howard. And it's actually funny because um, writing on BearGogglesOn.com for the Chicago Bears kind of was looking into pre-draft because um, the Chicago Bears obviously traded Jordan Howard and were potentially looking to upgrade over Howard. And one of the running backs they were looking into and were interested in was Miles Sanders. And Sanders was gone before they even had a chance to pick. So we'll never really know, you know, what the Bears' interest was in Sanders. But I knew that they were extremely interested. So I actually did a breakdown film room because Matt Nagy, um, the the tension between Jordan Howard and Matt Nagy was kind of there from the very start. That Nagy kind of looks at Howard as a player who he just doesn't have the pass catching ability that Nagy looks for in a running back. So when Howard is on the field, it's typically an obvious run, or it really it takes one of five skill players away from being a pass catching option. And what Nagy really wants to do is, you know, he wants five players who could potentially catch the football on the field. Um, he doesn't want, you know, one player who, you know, he kind of has to be a hindrance or he doesn't have the full arsenal of weapons. So um, I took like five quotes that uh, Nagy had, or he kind of described at the combine what he was looking for in a running back because he was being asked, because Howard was, you know, like a kind of a fan favorite for the Bears. So he's being hounded about, you know, what are you looking for to upgrade over Jordan Howard? So he listed off like five or six things. And I did a film room where I took each quote and attributed that skill to Miles Sanders and showed um, exactly why Sanders was better in each area. So without getting too far into it, you should really Google that because um, it really shows, like I kind of said, I think it's, uh, I don't even have it all in front of me, but his pass catching is one and Sanders just, you know, he's going to reign supreme over Howard. Um, it's lateral agility too. It's uh, big plays into, he said, uh, not only the second, but also the third level was one of them. Um, and like I said, there's just a few other ones that Sanders really checks all those boxes and Jordan Howard doesn't necessarily check those boxes. If you look at Jordan Howard, what's so fascinating about him is he comes out of nowhere um, on a you know run first uh, football team that was really going nowhere in his rookie season. Breaks a few runs. Um, you go look at the receivers. Their best receiver that season was Cameron Meredith. So they were just pounding Howard, pounding Howard. Had a pretty impressive rookie season, and every year from that point forward has declined in yards carries and yards per carry um and he's never gained anything in receptions and a lot of people were saying oh that's john fox he's such a run heavy you know play uh head coach he's not going to let his running backs catch the football and then like i said once him and matt nagy went there you started to look at howard and say he's a limited player who's a tell at some points who i think his vision's extremely good and um his power is pretty good, except last year, I think he just started to lose confidence because he fumbled on the goal line like two or three times, and you could really tell that the Bears were kind of just, you know, sick of him by the time he finished, but I still think that he has the ability to be a goal line back, but as we're going to get into with Miles Sanders, you know, and I just, I think he's going to be a much better player than, um, Jordan Howard, I think he's much more lateral. Like I said, all the things that I think he's better at, and the ca the pass catching ability is going to be the big thing. And everybody's going to tell you that the Philadelphia Eagles are running back by committee. This is what they do. Um, the thing about that is you go running back by committee when you have a running back by committee, right? So when Josh Adams is a guy and Corey Clement's a guy and Wendell Smallwood's a guy, and we're about to get to these guys, 
That's a running back by committee. That's literally a running back by committee. Josh Adams is a power player. Corey Clement can pass, protect, and do a little bit of both. Wendell Smallwood can catch the ball out of the backfield. That's a running back by committee. None of them can do more than what they're asked to do. But like I said, what I just noted with Howard is he can actually do all of that. So when you have one player who can do all of the three things, you put the one player in who can do all of the three things instead of trying to do all, you know, all the three things in their little, you know, specific situations. So I think that, um, like you said, Howard has to work with, uh, pass protection. He has to work on his fumbles is my biggest fear because he fumbled the ball a lot at Penn State. But when you look into his career, he also didn't get many chances because he was behind Saquon Barkley his whole career. So, um, he's somewhat Ron. He's, he's kind of a, you know, he tries to break the big one, um, a little bit too often. And they're going to look at Howard, um, early into the season and say that, you know, his ability to get the consistent yardage will work. And that's where I just keep saying that this is very similar to me to the Carlos Hyde, Nick Chubb debate last season, where you say, you know, Jordan Howard, very similar to Carlos Hyde. And what I said about that one was, if you follow the money, the money will tell you who should be the player that's going to be, um, you know, up next. Jordan Howard is not signed on for next season. And they traded a 2020 sixth round pick for him. So let's just imagine, you know, let's take the names out. Let's take away the fact that you had Jordan Howard during his rookie season and he's declined for the past three seasons. Let's just take all that out. A 2020 sixth round pick versus a 2019 second round pick. Which one is the team more invested in? <laughs> the 2019 second round pick. Oh, and the 2016 uh, sixth round pick is not signed for the next season and you have to overpay him for the next couple seasons. You're, you're invested in the 2019 second round pick, right? So like, at some point, the Eagles are invested in Miles Sanders. And at some point, there's looking around saying, we're running back by committee because we have to be running back by committee. Miles Sanders can do everything. Let's do everything with Miles Sanders. And as we're going to start to get into with this offense, his ability to catch passes um, and be that threat is going to be so huge for him. And I think he was completely underutilized at Penn State in terms of his pass catching ability. So I think he's going to be so much better in Philadelphia there. So I tend to, he's one of the highest players that I draft is Sanders. Like I said, it's, it's similar to Chubb last year. And I was telling people, I think it's, you know, you could get Sanders at a discount and then you could wait wait for him on the bench for like three or four weeks. Or if you miss out on him on the draft, people are going to drop him. People are going to trade him. Um, everything like that. And then I'm telling you, at some point around like week five or six, you're just going to want Miles Sanders because he's too electric and they're not going to be able to keep him on the bench. And the Eagles are so much smarter than the Browns that it's going to happen much sooner than it happened with Nick Chubb. So you got to be there for Miles Sanders. And like I said, I mean, I already broke down pretty much all the other guys. Those are just... If Miles Sanders doesn't work, and if he has the fumbles, Howard at the goal line, Wendell Smallwood and Corey Clement can catch passes. You know, Howard kind of cuts Josh Adams out of the mix. So you start to look at these players and you're saying, that's exactly how they could do it. Early on, I think Howard's going to definitely steal goal line work from Sanders, but his, he's going to catch enough passes. You know, Darren Sproles, everyone keeps saying um, they just signed him. He's going to cut into this work. I don't necessarily believe so. I think, you know, he could get a little bit of third down work. So, I mean, a little third down work from Sproul is a little goal line work from Howard, but I still think Sanders is going to be, and like I keep saying, at his draft cost, he's going to be the one that in crunch time, as the team is preparing for the playoffs, they're going to be firing on all cylinders and it's going to, they're going to be hoping that a guy like Sanders is healthy and ready to roll. So I'm not as worried on, on Sanders and I'm really just accepting the fact that um, as the preseason wears on, he's going to keep getting discounted and I'm just going to keep, you know, taking him. So he's a player that, like I said, I take him more than most people.
Yeah, Parks. Another thing to add with Miles is that this is also the best quarterback and offensive line that he'll play with in his career. You know, between Penn State, even in high school, like nearby us, um, he's never played with a guy like Carson Wentz or had an offensive line like this. But we'll get into the receivers, Parks, Golden Tate to the Giants, Jordan Matthews out to the Niners. Um, they do bring back Deshaun Jackson, which is a piece that they were missing last year. Um, and they drafted J.J. Arcega-Whiteside from Stanford at 57, who's a nice – it's funny because the comp that we did whenever we did our, our draft talk, it was um, a guy that's on their roster. But they got Deshaun Jackson for – Deshaun Jackson, a 2027th round pick from the Buccaneers in exchange for this year's 2019 sixth round pick. And then they signed him to do a three-year – $27 million deal parks. How do you feel about the wide receiver group? Right. And the thing that I was saying last year was, you know, and as we're going to get into with the tight ends, the golden Tate trade wasn't necessarily a great one for them. But the big thing is for years, they've been scrambling for a deep threat on the outside. So, um, you know, going back to whether it be Torrey Smith for their, you know, Super Bowl run, um, Mike Wallace, they were looking at, Mac Hollins, they were looking at, um, just consistently, you know, just trying to get somebody to stretch the field because um, kind of Alshon, we kind of know his game by now that he's a big body, he can go over the middle of the field, but he's he gets some of the worst separation in the entire NFL. Um, and it's a true fact. It's NFL next-gen stats. I think he's bottom five every single year in separation. But what he does is um, he boxes out. He extends his arm. He makes contested catches. Um, and that's where, you know, him and Carson Wentz, Wentz just trusts him and knows that he doesn't need to see him be open to throw it to him to make him open. Um, and uh, Alshon actually averages 2.5 more targets per game from Carson Wentz than Nick Foles. So him coming back does add to uh, Alshon. And Alshon missed uh, three games last uh, season with a shoulder with a shoulder injury. So that started to, you know, compress some of the things on their offense. But because they were unable to have that person on the outside and Alshon was unable to consistently create separation, you could really uh, bracket Alshon and, you know, all of a sudden he's, you know, just completely stonewalled. And then on the other side, you have absolutely nothing. So what they were, what they were trying to do was um, put Nelson Aguilar into more of that outside role opposite of um, Alshon. You know, at least he's somewhat respected. Maybe he could clear some of that up for Alshon, and then they're putting Golden Tate in the slot. Um, the real issue with that is that Aguilar, Aguilar is mainly just a slot player. Um, he played 55% in the slot last season, and then Golden Tate's a slot player, and he can't really extend the field deep either. So what they had was, you know, an issue where um, things were starting to get really condensed in terms of their offense. And uh, like I said, as we're going to get into with their tight ends, um, they were much better on offense when they had two tight ends on the field um, and they didn't have that slot player. So you start to look into it. And like I said, with Alshon, um, he gets a huge boost with Carson Wentz coming back. And it really helps Carson Wentz to have a guy like Alshon who, um, like I was saying, on those third and longs can kind of just throw it to him with a cornerback draped all over him as long as there's only one cornerback all over him. And that's where you get to the Sean Jackson who, um, you know, one of the most underrated players in the NFL, like in one of maybe NFL history. And you know what I keep laughing at is um, you go through all these receivers Every single one is going to be the next Deshaun Jackson, right? Will Fuller, the next Deshaun Jackson. John Ross, the next Deshaun Jackson. Hollywood Brown, the next Deshaun Jackson. Like, these guys are going top 20 overall, 
literally just based off the case that, well, they're going to be the next to Sean Jackson. If, and if they can be the next to Sean Jackson, then it's worth it. And you see that when they're on the field, that speed makes him. But what makes Deshaun Jackson so valuable and what I think makes him, you know, technically um, a game changer and a potential, you know, in my opinion, Hall of Fame debate because, you know, the Hall of Fame is like the story of the game. And like I said, if you're consistently teams are drafting in the first round receivers just because of Deshaun Jackson, then all of a sudden you, like, you have to start thinking about where he is in terms of his historical context. Not only that, none of these receivers can be Deshaun Jackson, right? I talked about it with Will Fuller. Like The stress on your hamstrings because consistently, every single snap, you're not just running deep down the football field. Like You're pushing yourself against literally the, you know, the next fastest guy in the NFL is right across from you, running just as fast from you as you, you know, with full pads. And you're just, you know, it's a straight sprint for, you know, 20, 30 yards and you got to catch your breath and you got to line up and do it, you know, right again. And nobody can consistently do that. Like I keep, I think that Fuller, his hamstrings just cannot consistently take that stress. Marquise Goodwin is another perfect one. Um, perfect example. He's a, um, just a sprinter in terms of track, but he can't do consistently after, you know, one after another for 60 plays. You can't just consistently stress your hamstrings like that every single time for Jackson to do that for, you know, as long as he's consistently been able to do that, it's crazy. Um, and he had like 800 yards last season in the uh, Tampa Bay offense. And he was kind of getting mixed in and out of the offense last season, trying to demand a trade, wasn't happy, everything like that. So, I mean, he's back in Philadelphia. The one thing you look at Carson Wentz stats, he doesn't really throw. Um, like I said, he's really good in terms of when it's condensed, when he's spreading the ball around. He doesn't throw a great deep ball. But you also look at it and you say, Deshaun Jackson is the best deep ball um, pass catcher. Like I keep saying, you know, he's changing the game the way that He's able to spread the field, demand safety, respect, and um, open things up for a guy like Alshon Jeffrey. So I saw in training camp that they're starting to connect him and uh, Deshaun Jackson. I take him in best ball. I wouldn't take him in uh, anything but best ball because he's going to get like four or five targets a game. And it's just whether or not him and Wentz can, dense or can connect on him. But you have to consistently throw those four or five passes to him because that fear of throwing the football deep to Deshaun Jackson it, and I mean, I'm telling you, every team that Deshaun Jackson goes, they're better at throwing the football because he puts fear in them on that outside. And that's why I keep telling you, teams are drafting him in the first round because they want that fear on the outside and nobody can replicate it like him. So I think it's huge for the Eagles and I think it opens up Alshon Jeffrey in the passing game big time. And then, like I said, we're going to talk about how when they can get those two on the outside and they can start to really stress you with their two tight ends, that's where it starts to become money. So um, Nelson Aguilar, I like him in the fact that he's moving back into the slot. Um, I don't like him in fantasy because I think they're going to um, condense how much 11 personnel they're going to run. So, um, you know, you look and you say, well, now they're just super versatile. And that is where I'm going back to. Wentz could get right back into the MVP conversation because whether they're um, two receivers on the outside, two tight ends stressing you deep, or there are two receivers on the outside. Nelson Aguilar is running a drag, um, you know, checking it down. That's where we get into Miles Sanders starts to veer out into the flats and he's catching passes. Um, that's where we start to get into this offense could really start to connect. I, that's where I'm saying I don't look to Aguilar in fantasy. I don't look to Alshon. I mean, sometimes I do look to Alshon. He's not terrible. He's in a tier with me with Allen Robinson. And I just, uh, I don't know, for some reason I looked at Robinson over at Jeffrey, but you could really convince me either way between the two. Um, and it's mainly just to me that, um, I mean, they're both going to spread the football around, but um, how much they're going to spread the ball around and um, how much Wentz goes to the, uh, his tight ends too. Um, so we're going to talk about that. But then, like you said, um, 
J.J. Arcega-Whiteside pretty much was drafted to replace Alshon Jeffrey. Um, not this season, but definitely next season. And if he gets hurt, he could step right into that. So um, they're, they're really using their resources well in terms of you know drafting. Also, uh, Arcega-Whiteside could be a goal line player because he's, he's such a box out. Like you said, um, he doesn't need separation just like Alshon Jeffrey. He really can extend his arms and um, box out with his hips and kind of just find space over the middle of the field. So... They can show you so many different looks to where, um, you know, all of a sudden they can go four wide and it's, you know, Arcega Whitesides in the slot on a smaller cornerback and boxing him out for a touchdown. So that's where this depth is so much, it's so much more versatile than it was. Um, Shelton Gibson, another one who they drafted to try and get that, um, you know, just another one you add to the list that um, just trying to get Deshaun Jackson speed, you know, Matt Collins, Shelton Gibson. Um, I think they're both just, you know, Deshaun Jackson replacements. Charles Johnson isn't bad. Um, you know, was in the AAF, and then Braxton Miller's the Nelson Aguilar replacement. So, like I said, I mean, I think that it all, the receivers make you want to buy Carson Wentz in fantasy because Deshaun Jackson is going to make things so easy for uh, Jeffrey, and Wentz just loves to just pepper Jeffrey, and Wentz isn't going to be afraid to go deep to Jackson, so they it can't you can't condense things the way that you did, and that gets us into the tight ends, which really makes their offense pretty awesome. Yeah, Parks, I was actually going to transition with that. I was going to tell you, talk about how Ertz and Goddard, you know, really make this offense unique and kind of like what Frank Reich does when, you know, whenever he was with the Eagles, now with the Colts, um, how getting Ertz and Goddard on the field at the same time and how that really stresses the defense out. Right, and this is where it goes back to, you know, you look at this team last season and you're saying, um, you know, Alshon misses the first few weeks with his shoulder, Dallas Goddard's a rookie, Carson Wentz is coming back early from the ACL. We're going to get into the offensive line. You know, a guy like Peters banged up a little bit. So this is where you start to get into and saying, you know, if this team could get, you know, into the swing of things, they could really be firing on all cylinders because by the end of the season, you know, when quote-unquote Nick Foles was outperforming Carson Wentz or whatever you want to, you know, pretend to say, Alshon's fully healthy. Goddard has, you know, he's finally into the mix and running on all cylinders. You know, that's where you start to look into, um, you know, the offensive line is much healthier. That's where you start to say, oh, wow, you know, they're winning more games. This is crazy. And that's where you start to say, if you put Wentz in and Wentz is better than Foles and they just went to New Orleans and almost beat them, this team could be pretty good. Um, you know, the thing with Goddard, he was probably, you know, the best tight end in the draft last year. And then Hayden Hurst went in the first round, but... Goddard, you know, he was from like North Dakota State, or not North, it, it wasn't the same college as Wentz, but it was uh, one of those up there. South Dakota State. Oh yeah, South Dakota the State. Right, so um, he was, you know, there and you say, okay, he wasn't playing the best competition, but his ability, um, especially with body control, in terms of his ability to catch, was really refined. Um, and you know, the other thing was he was a refined blocker, but you, like you said, you said South Dakota State, that's going to take some time, and it did take him some time, but now you go into this season and you're saying, well, he's a better blocker than uh, Zach Ertz, so they're going to get him on the field because he's a strong blocker, and they can be so versatile with that in terms of him and Ertz can be on the field together, and uh, like I said, you put Deshaun on one side, you put Alshon on the other, you motion Ertz into the slot, and then if you have if that's a linebacker, then uh, you throw Ertz, you know, Ertz versus a linebacker, you throw it to Ertz. If it's a cornerback, then you probably just run it with Miles Sanders. And that's where all of a sudden this offense is pretty good because Ertz is, Ertz is handling a cornerback, Goddard's the one, you know, blocking on the edge, and then it, you know, kind of all just flows together. So um, Ertz, Ertz is going too high for me in fantasy 
because um, he's with Kelsey and Kittle, and I would rather have Kelsey and Kittle than Ertz because, um, like I was saying, last year Ertz had like 156 targets. For his career, he averages about 100 targets. You say, well, why is that? Well, they didn't have the Sean Jackson. Well, they didn't have Alshon Jeffrey for a few games. Well, Goddard was slow, you know barely even in the mix. Well, they didn't necessarily have a running back. They were running back by committee, and the running back wasn't catching too many passes. Um, well, Carson Wentz was, you know, that's where you start to get into. Um, I don't think Ertz is going to get the targets like that. But I think, you know, and that's where I keep thinking about Goddard and fantasy, and I have issues with him because, um, like I said, he would be, he's such a typical, for me, he's the typical, you don't take him the rookie year, you see how he, you know, develops as a blocker, he starts to catch on, you know, over the middle of the season, and then you just pounce all over him in year two. I'm usually all over that, and I'm, I like Goddard, and I've taken him a little bit, but um, I'm just afraid because... Um, he's going to be stuck in the blocking role because Ertz isn't necessarily a great blocker and he is such a good receiver that um, their ability to move Ertz knowing that they still have a tight end. And the fact is, like I keep saying, Goddard is good at catching. Like There's going to be a chance that probably not by the end of this season, but at some point next year, <laughs> people are going to start talking about Goddard being better than Ertz because of the all-around ability of him. Um, so that's that's where you start to um, get into, you know, if, if Ertz was just a little bit more of, you know, similar athlete, but a better blocker, that's where you start to get into what Goddard's doing. And that's where I'm a little bit afraid because he's going to be blocking in a lot, but I also think he's going to keep, he's going to cut into Ertz in the red zone. He's going to get enough to where, um, you know, tight end becomes like a, you know, it becomes pretty ugly as you start to get kind of deeper. So as a backup tight end, I wouldn't, you know, just go in and say uh, he's the best tight end or anything. But as a backup tight end, I have no issue with Goddard because his ability to stress over the middle of the field, it's going to be big time. And then, like I keep saying, when you have Deshaun Jackson on the outside, nobody's coming in. Nobody's coming into the middle of the field. Nobody's coming into the box. We're all, you know, we have to play as deep as possible because Jackson, we don't want to give up 60-yard catches. You know, we'll give up. We'll, if it has to be a 20-yard catch to Goddard, at least it's not a 60-yarder to Deshaun Jackson. Is basically how, how you have to look at it. And you have to say, man, if they bracket Ertz over the middle, if they're bracketing Jackson on the outside, Alshon is going to be one-on-one -on -one because he's not going to get separation. But Wentz is going to throw it anyways, and he can catch, and Goddard can catch. And that's where I keep going back to. If Miles Sanders is just a check-down option or an RPO option, and if he can just take what's given and not fumble the football, that's, that's all he needs to do because he's athletic in his own and he's fast in his own that the holes, because of the RPOs and because of all the safety respect, and the, you have to freeze the linebackers because the linebackers are not going to respect Miles Sanders when they have to respect Ertz and Goddard. So that's where it comes down to. The checkdowns to Sanders, the screens for Sanders, the RPO runs to Sanders up the middle. Um, he can take advantage of those where Jordan Howard cannot, and um, the Eagles are too smart to let that sit on their bench and go, they're running back by committee because they are always running back. No, they drafted a dude 53rd overall. <laughs> I think they're going to play him. So, um, But that's where I'm saying I, I like Ertz, or I like Goddard. I want to draft Goddard more, but um, if Ertz gets hurt, is the other thing. If Ertz gets hurt, Dallas Goddard's like the best uh fantasy football by and then the whole thing so you have to look into that but when Ertz and Goddard are on the field at the same time um it takes like I said it takes away from Aguilar but it puts their best five players on the field and that is Sanders and that is Goddard and then it's Deshaun and Alshon and Ertz who are already pretty established in the NFL but that that's a five that um you can really do you can really uh stress safeties with yeah Parks that's a nice five there and then to round it out they have a really nice offensive line as well um, some of these guys are getting up there in age parks and not a whole lot of depth, but they do have some depth here. 
they traded up with Baltimore, 22nd pick to take Andre Dillard. Um, you know, like Jason Peters is in the last year of his deal, um, but he's still a really good tackle there. Um, Jason Kelsey, one-year extension through 2021, is now the highest-paid center. Isaac Saumalo gets a three-year extension through 2022. Stefan Wisniewski gets a one-year deal from them, Parks, and they also signed Ryan Bates as a UDFA from Penn State. Um, can kick in if he needs to. How do you feel about this group? Yeah, like you said, it's not a bad group. Um, they, you know, potentially could get some depth. You look at, um, they re-signed Kelsey and they brought back Peters, really just staples of this team. Um, the thing that you have to note about Peters is he was, he's been hurt recently a lot, um, but he really, he missed the Super Bowl. He was injured for the Super Bowl. And um, him and Sproles, Darren Sproles, both said they're re-signing this year, you know, to win a Super Bowl. So, We'll see if they're able to do that, and there's an extra incentive for two players who have played for a long time, but um, you look at Peters and you say, like you said, when he's healthy, he's an above-average starting left tackle. He's one of the most refined NFL tackles in the NFL. He's just lost a step for sure because, I mean, he's come back from just devastating injury after devastating injury, and he's 36 years old. I mean, his career is so underrated because of you know everything he's been through and all that, but... Um, the fact is he's 36 years old and he gets injured a lot. So they go up and they trade ahead of, uh, they trade ahead of, um, the Houston Texans because everyone knows the Texans are drafting offensive line and they draft Andre Dillard, who in my opinion was one of the 10 best players because of his, uh, pass protection abilities and his upside. And, um, I always say that I kind of lean towards, um, a couple other scouts opinions that I kind of trust or people's opinions that I trust more than mine in terms of offensive line play. But Dillard definitely checks out, you know, he pretty much checks all the boxes for me. Um, And a lot of people are saying, you know, the only issue with him is he has to kind of work on his run game, refine his run uh, blocking abilities, mainly because he played at Washington State, where all they do is pass the football and they don't run the football. So he has to work on that a little bit. Besides that, he's one of the potentially has the upside to be one of the 10 best players in the draft. Well, he gets to um, sit for a year behind Jason Peters, who's 36 years old, who, um, you know, like I just said, is one of the most refined players in the NFL who's back for one season because he cares about the Eagles so much and also wants to leave them in a great spot. So he's going to be, um, you know, working his ass off with Andre Dillard, kind of putting him in a great position to succeed if he were to go down. So um, you look at left tackle and you say, well, it's not only held down for this season. If Peters gets hurt, I could see Dillard stepping right in and taking the advice of Peters and Peters being on that sideline coaching him through it, Um, even if it were just, you know, for weeks eight and nine or something along those lines, um, could see Peters being through that. And then, like I said, whether it be Peters or Dillard, you have a starting left tackle who you feel confident in for the next five to ten years. And then you go to the right side, you have Lane Johnson, one of the best tackles in the NFL, pretty elite in himself. Jason Kelsey just resigned, one of the best centers in the NFL, Um, pretty much the best center. You know, he's starting to get older. Um, you could say that that's taking away from his ability to get into the second level. And that's another thing with Sanders is that um, Kelsey's ability to get upfield into the second level, um, he could really start to explode in some of those if he can, um, if he still has that step to him. Brynn Brooks um, has an Achilles injury, but he was also one of the best guards in the NFL last season. And then um, you do look into their uh, left guard is really the only question because, like I was saying, you, those are four top ten players um, as long as they're healthy and committed, and at the very least you have um, depth behind Peters. So you look into the, you know, uh, 
And they also have Vitai. Vitai stepped in for Peters last year and is a depth player who I know I think they might trade him because they have three tackles as it is. You know, not many teams have two, and they're sitting here with, you know, four, arguably, considering Vitai has so much starting experience. So um you go into the guard spot and you say it could be uh Sayamalu, who, you know, was decent last season when uh, he was also in and out of the lineup, and then Wisniewski was in and out of the lineup. They brought both of them back. Wisniewski can sl uh, slide into center. If Peters gets hurt, and that's where you do start to look and say that they have enough depth. Um, also, like you said, Ryan Bates is a player who um, could really um, potentially slide into that left guard spot, potentially could be a swing player for them. So they have enough depth where they could pretty much get by, and they have... Uh, you know, four players who at their peak are elite and they have some talent behind them. So could be a top five offensive line. And that is where I keep going back to Carson Wentz could have a huge season. And um, as long as they could, you know, if Miles Sanders could show with the fumble issues, um, he could have a huge season. Yeah, Park, so that does it for the Eagles offense. Um, looking like a really good unit there. Moving on to the defensive side of the ball where, Kind of hurt them a little bit last year with some injuries, particularly in the secondary. It was a little rough last year, but how they won the Super Bowl parks was with that rotational pass rush that they had. We can start with in that 4-3, those interior guys. Um, we're looking at Fletcher, Fletcher Cox and probably Malik Jackson, who they got from Jacksonville on a three-year, $30 million deal. But if not, Timmy Jennergan didn't have that much of an that much interest on the open market. So they ended up declining his option, but then they ended up re-signing him, and he's like on – a deal just about like one and a half million this year parks how do you feel about this interior and then we'll kick outside in that four three yeah like you said just a shrewd move another one by the front office that um you know has been playing it shrewd recently so um they have a rotation especially in terms of their interior um fletcher cox i mean you say there's aaron donald and then there's pretty much him and geno atkins are kind of in a tier of their own behind that so um, that's obviously taken care of, you know, super violent hands, ability to get upfield in a hurry with no issue. So um, you kind of look at that and say, okay, we have our upfield penetrator, Timmy Jernigan. I think it was either an ACL, might have been an Achilles last season, but nonetheless was a part of that, you know, the defense gets off to a slow start. The Eagles have a really bad year. Start to put it together as the year goes on, um, as a guy like Timmy Jernigan starts to get healthy. Um, he's pretty much limited in terms of his upfield explosion is limited to being a nose tackle who can, you know, plug gaps, defend the run. But like I said, you could really start to see that as their run defense got better, wins started to come on the scoreboard. Timmy Jernigan was a part of that. Um, so that's a good mix. And then, like you said, with Malik Jackson, um, arguably what could put this team um, over the edge because what they were doing, um, like you said, in terms of their Super Bowl run, they had four serious rotating uh, defensive ends on the outside. A guy like Chris Long retires, but something that's been debated in the NFL recently has been, is it potentially that edge rusher is more valuable or is it interior pressure? Um, the Khalil Mack versus Aaron Donald debate for the most part. And a lot of people are starting to say that because of the quick passing in the NFL, because teams are getting it out of their hands quicker, um, the time that it takes to get around the edge for a uh, edge rusher is extremely valuable because it's valuable in the fact that nobody, there's only like a small percentage of the world that can do what they're doing, but the ability to get pressure straight up the middle um, and, you know, a lot of people say that that's Tom Brady's, you know, one of his weaknesses is straight up the middle in your face as the ball snap, that type of pressure that a guy like Donald, that a guy like Cox, that a guy like Malik Jackson in rotation could bring to the table is potentially 
as valuable, if not more valuable. So um, you could see that the Eagles potentially losing a little bit of Michael Bennett, losing a little bit of uh, Chris Long. Um, you could say that, you know, as we're going to get into the edge, but a little bit of that could be replaced by having um, sliding Jernigan out, sliding Jackson in, and having a much more vicious in interior pass rush on these obvious passing situations and having a higher rotation, which puts their players um, on the field for higher leverage situations. And that was what was so good about their pass rush in the Super Bowl run was they're able to consistently rotate four guys. So um, you look at it and they should have a really strong um, interior defensive line. You know, Jackson was a pretty good run defender last season, was an upgrade in terms of when Bennett was in that, you know, Michael Bennett could play defensive end, but could also slide to that interior on third down when he was in that um, Jackson, I think, is a much better upgrade in terms of run defense, but I also think he can provide as much, if not more, pass rush. So, really like what they're doing on their interior. Hassan Ridgeway, the other, um, he's basically a nose tackle too, and that opens up um, where Jackson and Cox are really two players who, you know, kind of whoever they're beside, uh, their duties is going to just be, you know, wrecking ha wreaking havoc for the quarterback. Parks and kicking outside to those ends, Derek Barnett and Brandon Graham. Graham gets re-signed for a three-year extension. Um, he was pro football focus's number six ranked 4-3 end last year, despite only having just four sacks. So I talks about how good he is. He's missed just one game over the last seven years, Sparks. Um, and then looking at some depth guys, Vinnie Curry gets a one-year deal. They draft Shreve Miller from Penn State at 138. Josh Sweat, um, player from Florida State that they drafted a couple years ago. Parks, um, how do you feel about this group? Yeah, like you said about Brandon Graham, you know, um, he had what? It's, it was 61 pressures to go along with those sacks. So um, the pressure is what matters. And it's really, you know, like you said, with the seven years, with the consistency, the fact that he's just consistently able to um, get pressure on the quarterback, you know, whether they result into sacks or not, or whether he's doing his job, which potentially at times can be pushing, um, pushing tackles to have the quarterback step up into oh, we just signed Malik Jackson and Fletcher Cox. That's potentially a strength of our team. A guy like you know Brandon Graham, he's hands-in. He's ready to make those plays that push the quarterback up. So Brandon Graham's um, a super underrated player, in my opinion. Uh, the other players, you're, this is where you're kind of saying, um, maybe you're losing a little bit on the edge. Maybe you're adding a little bit on the interior and hoping that that's for the best, um, whether it be you know Bennett and Long and all that. Um, adding Vinnie Curry. Vinnie Curry was a rotational player. In their Super Bowl run, went to Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay's defensive coordinator, you know, doesn't really know what he's doing. And, you know, you could say, um, you know, he's nothing more than a rotational player. And when he's your fourth rotational player, um, I think he's a perfectly capable fourth rotational player. It's just, you know, is he going to slide into that, you know, number two, number three role because of some of the depth lost? Who are guys who could step in for him? Derek Barnett. Derek Barnett, I think he had four and a half sacks or something. He's he hasn't been um, too too great in the you know the start of his career, but has slowly started to come on. Um, he's still really young too. I think he's uh, only like twenty three years old. So he has a potential chance, and I mean it's finally really his time to where he was kind of just a specialty pass rusher, especially in that first Super Bowl run. Um, he wasn't setting the edge too much. He was really just getting on the field for one purpose only. Slowly started to, to develop last season and kind of, you know, hit some hit some bumps and edges and everything like that. But 
with a guy like Brandon Graham, he can kind of let his hair back and go a little bit. And he's got a lot more upside than Vinny Curry, so they really need that from Barnett. They also could be looking to get that from Josh Sweat, a player who I think I had, I gave him like a late second round grade to, and then he went undrafted. But it was it was definitely medical um, issues nonetheless. So I really like his uh, tape and physical ability and his athleticism and his upside. And, um, you know, especially if it was like the fifth or sixth round, I probably would have just took a flyer because he was able to stay healthy. Um, I think he even got some rotational snaps by the end of the season um, for this team. So he was able to stay healthy, get some rotational snaps, you know, hopefully can extend that into a second season where his athletic upside is where, like I keep saying, you know, Burnett's that or Graham's that worker B who can set plays up. You really need that athlete on the other side. You know, Curry's a great depth piece. Is it Barnett? Potentially, is it Sweat? You could see it from Sweat. Um, a guy like Joe Osman, I'm interested in from uh, Central Michigan, went undrafted, really hard worker, um, a player that I could see potentially at least getting rotational snaps. Um, Deshaun Hall, another player who I would say, you know, similar in attributes to Brandon Graham, kind of uses his long arms to his advantage. And Sharif Miller, um, definitely a rotational player who may end up on the practice squad. So um, Sweat and Barnett are the two players that you say, if one of those two can step up and be an impact pass rusher, then this team's probably going to win the Super Bowl. And if one of them could just be a rotational player, you know, then that's all they need. Um, if they're both rotational players, they're going to be right in it until the end. You know, if they if neither of them hit and you're relying on Vinnie Curry, that's where it becomes um, an issue potentially. But that's where you're hoping that Malik Jackson and Fletcher Cox can make up for a little bit of that. And, you know, they have the resources and they have the depth. Um, you know, Barnett's a player first-round pick. Sweat's a player with high athleticism. It's just, you know, which one's going to take that step forward? Um, is either one going to take that step forward? That's kind of, and like I'm saying, I mean, I think that's potentially, um, you know, with potentially what's holding them from a Super Bowl or could potentially put them over the edge to a Super Bowl. So it, it's, a, it's a big question, but also a question of, you know, how elite is this team? Parks, and, you know, if you're listening to this, you're like, where does this team have holes at? Um, well, we'll get into the linebackers and secondary here, Parks. Um, Jordan Hicks is off to the Cardinals, DJ Alexander to Jacksonville. Um, they're bringing in the one and only LJ Ford on a three-year deal. Zach Brown gets a one-year deal. They also signed TJ Edwards, UDFA, from Wisconsin Parks. Um, how do you feel about these linebackers? Yeah, this is definitely would be, you know, if there is a weakness of this roster. Um, Jordan Hicks, you know, you would love to say if he was healthy, you know, then the Eagles could trust him, then they would have brought him back. But we'll see about him, you know, elsewhere. But Nigel Bradham is a player who's going to step in, you know, really as, you know, another one, you know, Hicks gets hurt in the middle of the season. They have that rut. And then as Bradham starts to step in as the play caller, as the run and chase player, um, as a player who can do, you know, this and that and really... Um, him and Malcolm Jenkins, they started to really shuffle their secondary, as we're going to get into, and Malcolm Jenkins, his ability to communicate with Bradham as he slid into the box was one of the things that kind of turned their season around. So you hope to think that, you know, if Bradham can kind of hang around in that middle, you add Zach Brown into the mix who, um, he had a, a really weird falling out, um, but he was in Washington where you can kind of say, um, you know, a lot of fallings, falling outs are kind of weird in that regard. Even Mason Foster um, left the team in a similar regard just a few weeks ago. So you say, I mean, he's going to be motivated like crazy. Um, he's in the same division as Washington. And when you look at him, he's a pretty, um, you know, physical player. Um, he has some pretty high upside. And you think that between him and Bradham, um, yeah, it's a weakness of the team, but I mean, it could be worse than, you know, Nigel Bradham and Zach Brown. And then, like you said, you kind of start to get into specialty players. 
in terms of LJ Fort. I mean, LJ Fort's biggest issue with the Steelers was that the Steelers thought that he could replace Ryan Shazier. So, you know, like that's a huge issue for LJ Fort. If you have LJ Fort in terms of he's your third linebacker, every once in a while you stick him on a tight end, you could bring some um, special teams value. Like I didn't. That's where you actually like L.J. Ford as a player. Um, and even uh, Gruger Hill has the potential. Um, to he can uh, blitz after the quarterback, but he can also defend tight ends and run in space. So you start to look at it and you say that at least they have some depth, especially in terms of Gruger Hill and Fort. And they between Bradham and Brown, it's potentially just good enough. Nate Jerry is an interesting one, or Geary, uh, who's like a safety slash linebacker type player, could add some special teams. But what they really have is um, a lot of players who could at least they can you know defend the pass a little bit. Um, whether any of them are you know great at defending the pass. I mean, you kind of have to mix and match it and play your cards right. Um, and the good thing is they have Jim Schwartz, who's a great defensive coordinator. But um, definitely a weakness. Um, I do look for, uh, like I said, LJ4 and Gruger Hill because they're in much more specific roles. Um, when they're asked to do too much, I think they can get exposed. But in specific roles, and they have Bradham and Brown ahead of them. I think you can pull the right cards with them. And that's really what it comes down to. So... You know, like like you said, it's definitely not the best unit on their team, but it's also, you know, probably not like a bottom 10 unit in the NFL. Parkson, to round them out, we'll go to the secondary. We start with the corners here. Ronald Darby gets a one-year extension from them. Um, Parks, Avante Maddox last year really showed up, and he's probably going to end up being an every-down player for them this season. I think he showed well enough in the base packages in addition to what he did in the slot last year. So my boy from Pitt. Looking like he has a nice little role here for the Eagles. Sparks, how do you feel about these other guys? Jalen Mills, Sidney Jones, everyone else here. Right, and this was one of the positions where, um, this was, you know, arguably easily the position where, you know, just up and down as the season went. And then as, you know, like I keep saying, you know, as people pretended that Foles was, you know, out playing Wentz, it was actually the secondary was actually starting to get their feet going. A guy like you said, Avante Maddox starts to get going. Um, and you start to look into their secondary. They started with Darby and Mills, and then Mills was just, he was really bad last season before he ended up getting injured. And then Darby was um, pretty bad too before he started uh, to get injured. So, you know, I'm not betting on Jalen Mills too much. I don't think he has, um, he fell in the draft because of, um, you know, his football character and all that. I don't necessarily know if he's, you know, ready for, for high impact snaps like that, you know, he seems to, it, it stays in his head when he gets burnt and you can't really have that. So Russell Douglas, um, can play on the outside and he has the, um, speed on the outside that, or he has the length and the size on the outside. He lacks the deep speed, but he has that ability where you kind of trust that. And then you got Ronald Darby's the other outside player, potentially, um, if he comes back from injury and that's where you bring in, um, Avante Maddox and you kind of say, where is he going to play is like where it gets the most interesting because he profiles mostly as a slot player, but he played a lot on the outside last season. And he also um, started to slide into free safety as the Eagles started to um, go to a three safety look. Uh, they started to take linebackers off the field. Like we were saying, that's a weakness of their roster. So they would put Malcolm Jenkins into the box to communicate and defend tight ends. Um, and then they would have another tight end play the strong and they would have uh, Avante slide back into the free. So what, that's what makes him valuable is that he can play every single one. And I think I did a draft profile on him uh, saying that I thought, you know, he's a good player who knows what he's doing on the outside and could potentially stick on the outside. But nonetheless, um, wherever he... Yeah, he's a good player, and you could definitely, 
like you know, you said you threw him in on the on the run last season, kind of out of nowhere, and he didn't really have a great you know start. But as they started to make the playoffs, it was because of mainly you know Rosal Douglas with his uh, length and size, and Avante Maddox, you know the smaller you know kind of feistier player making plays on the football. You know players like that, and like I said, his ability to be a free safety and just be versatile overall um, made them overall better. And then you look at Sidney Jones. Jones is an interesting one because. He had a uh, really bad Achilles injury and then had no rookie season. His second year, they uh, stuck him in the slot because they had Mills and Darby, and they weren't necessarily sure what to do with him. And he didn't look too great. Played on the outside for his entire career at Washington. So um, you're wondering what he's going to be in his third season. And I'm starting to think that potentially you kind of have... Jones has a lot of size to him, but has that slot experience. Um, He could potentially play in the slot, and then Maddox is that smaller player who could potentially play in the slot. You can kind of be able to switch things in the box, and then if you need to, um, you keep Maddox on the field because then you move him to free and move Jenkins into the box, and that's where you start to be extremely versatile and where you're able to um, switch picks and all that, and that's where Jones at least has some value um, on the depth chart. So, I mean, you go even Craven LeBlanc, actually, um, he was the one who actually did play in the slot because Maddox was asked to play on the outside, and he wasn't too bad in the slot um, after getting cut by the Bears. So you look into it and say, you know, if it's Darby and Douglas on the outside and Jones and Maddox, you can pick your matchups on the inside. Um, that's, you know, that's that's a formidable bunch. And that doesn't factor in that Jalen Mills was a starter last season and is coming back. And that doesn't factor in that Craven LeBlanc started for you for a playoff game last season. So, um, yeah, I mean, their biggest weakness last year was their secondary. And their biggest strength towards the end of the season was that, um, what's his name, figured out the secondary for the most part. And especially that shuffling as we're going to get into the safeties. But um, a good start for them. And, yeah, I mean, look for a guy like Maddox. Look for a guy like Jones potentially to step forward next season. And if those two can step forward, the versatility in that secondary could uh, you know, be good enough to suffice for some of that linebacker play. Parks, if Jim Schwartz can, uh, if he can find the right mix there in the secondary, they do have some nice pieces. So it's just about really putting it together and staying healthy for them. Looking at the safety group to round them out, Parks, Andrew Sandehu gets a one-year deal from them. Um, like you mentioned on Malcolm Jenkins, how do you feel about this safety group? Right, and they lost, uh, you know, Corey Graham from last season, who was the guy who would slide in because. You know, McLeod, I think it was after three weeks last year, um, missed the entire season with an MCL injury. So that's another one where, you know, you go through every single layer of this roster, um, whether it be Jernigan with his issues, um, whether it be all their linebacker, um, you know, Jordan Hicks, everything like that, Darby and Mills, um, whether it be McLeod, whether it be Jason Peters, whether it be Wentz, whether it be Alshon, all those players were hurt last season. They still made the playoffs and were, you know, one play away from making the NFC Championship game. Um, and Malcolm Jenkins was kind of the one player who was the leader of the locker room, really kept them in it throughout the whole thing. And um, I think it was like after week two, um, he like tore down all the Super Bowl stuff from their locker room and said, you know, this is a new year. You guys need to grow up, everything like that. Um, and also towards the end of the year, they had that, uh, he like started a fate, uh, I forget, it was a stupid little thing, but he's a good locker room guy is basically what I'm getting at for Jenkins. And he kept the whole team in it throughout the season, and he led the team. Um, and his performance against the Chicago Bears in the playoffs, um, Matt Nagy did not know what to do when they threw him in the box. And basically, he followed uh, Cohen around, um, and they, he just didn't know what to do with that. And that was that's really what's you know set this, uh, 
it changed that whole entire game was Malcolm Jenkins' presence in the box. And that's where, like I said, Maddox being able to play that free safety. All of a sudden you say, well, Maddox is pretty valuable because when Maddox plays that, McLeod slides into the box and then McLeod becomes an interesting player. Um, and that's where, you know, you, you get some of that. Jenkins as a linebacker, you know, beats out some of the, you know, Zach Brown as a linebacker in specific subsets and everything like that. But that gets you back to saying that Jones in the slot, Jenkins in the slot, Maddox in the slot, LeBlanc in the slot. They're ready to play, you know, RPO football. They're ready to defend themselves, basically, is how you look at it. You know, they signed Andrew Sandejo, um, another box player. Trey Sullivan had to be asked to play um, almost, you know, a similar role to Avante Maddox where, you know, he had to play some free. He had to slide into the box every once in a while. And as the season went on, he started to make it. Um, even a guy like Godwin, um, not going to try his last name, could make it from the uh, practice squad onto the roster this year. So um, that's where... If McLeod doesn't come back, they have issues in terms of their depth and safety, and that's where Maddox kind of has to become a starting free safety. But if they could use him as a as just a defensive back, like a third safety defensive back, that's where Jones becomes more valuable, and that's where they can switch things in the box. And that's where, like you said, when Schwartz starts pressing the right buttons, they have a good enough secondary that um, you know hopefully that pass rush is good enough too. Um, they're going to be right there in the mix, you know, as one of the, you know, like you said, one of the better, well put together, top to bottom rosters. They're going to be right in the mix. Injuries is what derailed them last season. Parks, let's talk about their regular season win totals here. Over 10 wins is a minus 120. You can get even money on the under 10 wins. Would you play that? Um, I would look first, honestly, probably towards the Eagles winning the division. Um, and honestly, I think one of the better bets would be um, if you take the Eagles to win the Super Bowl because I think you'll get a chance to um, hedge on it at some point in the playoffs. Yeah. So that's where you would honestly look, in my opinion. I mean, I think they definitely could. I think I have them marked for 10 to 12 wins, so I would bet on them to win you know, more than 10 games. The issue with me is um, Carson Wentz and his injuries. you know, And that's where, like I said, even in fantasy, um, I have him ranked fifth. But sometimes it's hard to press that button, you know, uh, because of his injuries. And that's really like the only thing for me is I'm just worried about them. But, you know, like we said, you look at that offense, it's almost dummy proof. And once could, you know, uh, he's smart enough to where, you know, it doesn't even have to be dummy proof. But there, it's easy to handle that offense as long as that defense can take that step forward that you saw towards the end of last season and that you kind of see on paper. Um, they also had a really strong draft. So, they're going to be right in the mix. I think they're going to be right in the Super Bowl hunt. And I keep, you know, I told you I keep going back between the Colts and the Eagles and probably at some point in the next couple weeks, I'll probably pick one of them to potentially win the Super Bowl. So that's kind of, you know, wrap it up there. I think they have a great chance to, um, you know, win the NFC East. I think injuries are the only thing holding them back at this point. Parks, and I was going to push you to get some audio on that since we've done the Colts and Eagles already. But yeah, that's the matchup that you've been talking about to me, at least for right now. Um, those are the two teams that you're looking at for the Super Bowl. So, yeah, if you want to even play those, you know, conference championship, you could even hedge out, you know, in the divisional round or whatever. But that'll do it for the Eagles parks. Unless you have anything to add, we're going to move on to the Dallas Cowboys next. Yeah, that's it. Um, I think they're going to be a good team, and it'll be interesting to see if they can live up to those expectations. You know, I'll say it for like the third time that everything bad happened last season, and they were still one play away from in New Orleans beating the Saints and moving on to the NFC Championship. So they were right there, and um, they should be so much better. All right, Parks, that'll do it for this time, and we'll catch you guys next time with the Dallas Cowboys.